Get in here. I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Damn right. Okay? Can't roll. Can't roll with the big dogs. Stay on the board. It's time. Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. Say what? It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. Hour number two here on this Thursday afternoon. Big week here in Las Vegas, like we've been talking about. Appreciate Al Bernstein for joining us. Showtime Championship Boxing. He gets to watch the fight this weekend as a spectator, as a fan. So great stuff there. That interview will be up on the website in a couple hours. So make sure you check that out at tcmartinshow.com. We're talking Terrence Crawford, Showtime Sean Porter. All the talk is done. The press conferences are over. And it is fight night, Saturday night, at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay you got to love it. The fight has been sold out. You can watch it on ESPN Plus or ESPN Pay-Per-View. Uh, the fight, $69 if you're uh, going to order it. But uh, if you are going to be at the fight, look forward to that. And uh, if you're going to be at home, just watching some college football, doing some other stuff, don't worry. Uh, we'll have round-by-round updates for you. You can follow me on Twitter. Like we always give you that coverage on Fight Night, too, at TCMartin21. So good stuff with Al Bernstein, uh, talking with uh, him today. Uh, B. Sal joins us uh, from uh, Brian Selman from from uh, News 3. This hour, we are going to talk to Scott Spritzer. He will join us here at the bottom of the hour, and we start looking at the NFL week number 11. Is that where we're at? Week 11? There it is. Yeah. All right. Start uh, doing some handicapping with that. Also, look at the college football, the playoff rankings, Again, came out uh, on Tuesday night. We talked to Trevor Match and got his thoughts about that yesterday. We'll continue more about that and some huge college football games on Saturday. So we'll go to the board and talk to Scott Spritzer at Doc Sports regarding that. Our resident handicapper, our guy. So we'll look forward to talking with Scott uh, about that. All right, so uh, some NFL news to talk about. Uh, Lamar Jackson uh, hasn't practiced all week with the Baltimore Ravens. And this is a little bit of a concern because uh, Coach John Harbaugh said that uh, he's been sick. Now, he stopped short to say that uh, it was not COVID-19 related. He believes it is not COVID related, but we have seen Lamar Jackson be sick before. This is actually the fourth time that he's been sick during this football season where he's missed a significant practice time uh, because of, of having a sickness. Now, if we remember correctly, Lamar Jackson is not vaccinated. Right? He's not vaccinated. And uh, he has had COVID you know, prior to this. So this is a little interesting story to see if, is he, does he have COVID? Does he not? And Harbaugh is saying, nope, he doesn't. But, and I guess it's pretty sad that we actually have to really kind of think about this now, and we're wondering if they're, I don't want to say the word lying, but I guess I'll say it, you know, that someone is lying or not being truthful or maybe omitting, you know, some of the facts here because of what we went through with the Aaron Rodgers situation. And I think a lot of people are now going to question anytime somebody gets sick, especially an unvaccinated player, if they actually have COVID or not. Our teams may be afraid to say that they that they have COVID. And again, I understand HIPAA laws and all that sort of thing, but it, it does behoove you know the organization to let everyone know that this person does have COVID if if a person if, if a player does, because that way they can be quarantined, they can go through the proper protocols and procedures and all that sort of thing. And again, the NFL wants you know all teams to be very upfront with their personnel of any type of injuries they have, whether, you know, that's why they have the injury report. Whether you're listed as, as doubtful or you're questionable, you know, or or probable, or, and of course, you know, with COVID nineteen protocols, yeah, they they, they want to know. So Lamar Jackson uh, hasn't practiced all week, is sick again. So it just makes you you wonder: is this just a, a flu like stuff or what? A lot of these players, as you know, they play through the flu like symptoms. So 
Tyler Huntley is getting the first team reps for the Baltimore Ravens this week. As you know, they are taking on the Chicago Bears uh, Sunday. So we'll see what happens there. And this has been a, a funny line, too, because we have seen this line drop a couple points. The Ravens start off as a six-point favorite. In some places, it's down to minus four. And I know a lot of people yesterday were thinking, why is this line dropping the way it is? I mean, the Bears at home? Uh, It doesn't make any sense. So this is probably, it explains it now, if Lamar Jackson is sick and there is a a chance that he may not start, even though i got to believe that he probably will start. But uh, you know Tyler Huntley, yeah, that's that's two, three. That's probably probably four points difference. You know, right there. Maybe Baltimore is only a a one or two point favorite once this news comes out. I mean, if it happens that Lamar Jackson is not able to play on Sunday against the Bears, but it's funny, a lot of Chicago Bear money has been coming in, and you know, prior to this news, it was somewhat weird. Like, why would people be betting the Bears? I mean, who wants to bet the Bears, right? (laughs) All right, Raiders taking on Cincinnati. Both teams in the exact same situation in their division. Both have the same record. They're both 5-4. and Same number of games behind the first-place team. They've lost two straight games. It is a must-win situation for both the Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals here. And if you are the Raiders... You're an underdog here by one point. The Cincinnati Bengals are a slight favorite here. And the Raiders, as we know, they had some playoff aspirations, but over the last couple weeks, that has really gone by the wayside. And now we're we're looking at this team thinking, okay, is, is this team going through the pitfalls that we've seen them go through basically not just last year when they start off at 6-2, and two, But now what we've seen just year after year after year with the the Raiders. I mean, and I know Derek Carr addressed this at his press conference the other day talking about, you know, this situation. He's saying, hey, there have been times when guys I have seen, you know, maybe not show up at the facility, uh, you know, early like like they were earlier on in the season. You know, guys that uh, are are just kind of like, you know, I don't want to say they're mailing it in. But they don't look as hungry. Well, the Raiders lost two in a row. They are still in the thick of playoff contention. They have a record of five and four. And again, just a game and a half you know, behind the Kansas City Chiefs, who they lost to last week. But yes, this is a, an important time for the Raiders. They need to get this victory. And they need to get this thing right. And you're coming in here against a team with Cincinnati that has not been impressive its last two games as well, too. I mean, when you look at the, the the Bengals here, I mean, they have all kinds of upside here with Joe Burrow, with Nick's, uh, you know, with Mixon. And then, you know, you look at uh, what Jamar Chase has done, uh, Joe Burrow's former teammate at LSU. I mean, this team has tons of potential. And like the Cleveland Browns earlier on the season, people were thinking, whoa. Maybe this could be the year that the Cincinnati Bengals actually make a playoff run. But then you look at the last two weeks, and this Bengals team has really faltered, just like uh, the Raiders have. So both teams in dire need of of a victory here. They both come in here at five and four, um, both you know trailing you know their division leader. And again, they both have lost two straight games. Uh, Must win situation. For, for both teams here. So who do you like? What do you think is going to happen here? Myself, it, it, it's, it's hard at times to back the Raiders, especially when you have the stuff that has gone on this year, going back to John Gruden, what, is, you know, what, what has transpired with Henry Ruggs and, and everything else. You know, Damon Arnett is, is now gone, and it's probably a good, a good thing that Arnett is gone. But say what you want about Arnett, not really living up to the hype in the secondary, not being very productive, kind of being a bust, but it still does weaken your secondary from a personnel standpoint and a depth perspective because the Raiders got shredded by Patrick Mahomes last week, and that was the fear. That was the big fear last weekend as we are looking at this game last week saying this is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs 
this is going to be their bust-out game because you figure Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, uh, these guys are, are going to get right. And against that secondary that the Raiders threw out there, it's exactly what happened as Patrick Mahomes threw for 406 yards. 406 yards and five touchdown passes. Wow. (laughs) Why? Well, because the Chiefs have that dynamic personnel, but more importantly because they were facing a Raiders secondary that has been suspect against the past for the better part of this year and the better part of the last few seasons as well, too. So now when you face a Bengals team who is not as dynamic as, as the Kansas City Chiefs, What's going to happen this week? Well, obviously, odds makers are thinking there's something to this whole thing with the Raiders because being an underdog against the Bengals, I guarantee you, weeks ago, if this line was put out in an advanced line, a look-ahead line, the Raiders would be a three- or four-point favorite. But because they went to the Meadowlands and they lost to the Giants and did not look good doing it, and then the way they played Kansas City last week, getting drilled 41-14, to and you can even make the argument... Then Mahomes didn't even look as good as he possibly could, as crazy as that sounds. Throwing for 406 yards and five touchdowns. But he started off extremely slow in the first quarter, and this score probably could have been a lot worse than 41-14. to But at any rate, that's what you have this weekend. You have a big game, a must-win situation, and are Raider fans feeling like, okay, here we go again. We've always talked about that this team, being a transplant team, if they win, they're going to win over fans. But if they lose, how much support are they going to get? Of course we know there's going to be the honeymoon period. There's always that honeymoon period. The honeymoon period was with the Golden Knights and is still in effect. But the difference was that the Golden Knights were winning. They were winning immediately. And the Raiders not being a you know, a, a, a team that was conceived here, not an expansion team. Again, you know, you you don't have that truly dedicated Las Vegas Raiders uh, uh, fan base here. You got some Raider fans, but again, this is why we we're seeing the amount of people showing up at Allegiant Stadium wearing the different colors. That's why we saw so much red and white last week with Kansas City. And you're probably not going to see that much whatever, black and orange, brown and orange, whatever the Bengals are. You're not going to see that because they don't travel well. We didn't see that that much with Miami, but you did see it with Bears fans as they came flocking into this place making a lot of noise. And, uh, you know, you didn't see it very much with Baltimore, but you saw it with the Eagles. So the Raiders will have a home field advantage this week, but it's going to have to be the time where Derek Carr steps up, gets the job done, and also Josh Jacobs and Kenyon Drake in the running game. That's what it's got to be all about here. So they've got to step up big time coming up on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals, and we'll see if they can uh, get the job done. All right, so there you go. All right, so we've got some breaking news here. Uh, Antonio Brown has been – there is a story out, I guess, in the Tampa Bay Times, right, that is saying that Antonio Brown has passed a false – COVID test. <laughs> uh, in other words, a a, a fake card. Is, is this like what we have seen before? We we just heard this story last week with uh, with, with other players. But uh, Bucks receiver Antonio Brown obtained a fake COVID nineteen vaccination card so he could avoid NFL protocols. Now this is what the Tampa Bay Times are are posting. They say Brown's girlfriend. And uh, any model told uh, a Los Angeles uh, chef, a chef. So we're getting this word from a chef in a text message that Brown was willing to pay $500 if he could get a J&J vaccination card. Hmm. I believe the text read something like this. Can you get the COVID cards? Uh, this is what the girlfriend said, according to a, 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 a screenshot provided uh, by the Tampa Bay Times. And he he responded by saying, I can try. And then they went back and forth and say, oh, J&J shot? AB said he would give you $500. The text exchange uh, between these two, 
uh, does not refer to Brown by name, but it just says the wide receiver, who's known as we know as AB by friends, coaches, and teammates. So you're putting all that together, and that's what we're getting. All right, so <laughs> a couple different things here, and I'm laughing because here we go. It's Antonio Brown, right? It's Antonio Brown. So everything from, you know, my bunions are hurt, I'm flying in to, to Napa via the the air balloon, everything else, uh, the terrible Tuesday stories going back to last year, the year before that, where he's throwing furniture off someone's truck, you know, he's going to court, uh, he's having, uh, you know, throwing stuff off the balcony from the apartment. Oh, jeez. It's Antonio Brown. And again, I mean, none of this should surprise us. Even though the Tom Brady and Bruce Arians are coming out saying, you know, well, this guy's been the, the model citizen pretty much since he's gotten here. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But the Buccaneers just said in a statement that uh, they reviewed uh, of all the players' uh, cards, presumably including Browns, that there's no irregularities uh, were observed here. So uh, Brown is saying this is uh, this is BS, uh, saying he did not submit a fake COVID vaccine card to the NFL. Um, the chef, you know, from Los Angeles told the Tampa Bay Times that uh, he attained the uh, fraudulent paper back in July, but a rep for Brown says it's just uh, not true. So I don't know how a story like this surfaces if it's not uh, 100% uh, accurate, but uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Antonio Brown being accused of obtaining a fake COVID vaccine card. So if you are, you know, A-B, you only going 500 bucks? Just 500 bucks? That's it? I mean, how does this guy tip in the restaurants in, in Tampa? That's what I want to know. What's, what's, what's going on over there? I mean, if you really want to obtain... First of all, why even do this? Again, here we go again. I mean, as an athlete, you're held to a much higher standard. You've got to be careful of what you're doing out there. All right? And just, you don't need a fake COVID card. Do you really need this? Of course you don't. And again, you got a world championship ring. You're with you, the, the defending Super Bowl champions. You don't want to cause any waves. You know that you could be out of this league. You could be bounced out of here if you do some more stupid stuff. And sure, this isn't domestic violence, isn't domestic abuse, but this is just stupid stuff. Again, you know how serious this COVID situation is. You know how the NFL feels about it trying to obtain a COVID card. And again, how does something like this even surface? I mean, there had to be some type of inquiry here. All right? Uh, I guess, uh, so more of the stories coming out. Said it also should be noted that Ruiz uh, has issues with Antonio Brown, with the chef claiming that the two had a falling out over $10,000 that Ruiz says Brown never paid him. Okay, so... He's got a beef. So he's maybe making this up. Okay, then again, why would the girlfriend go to Ruiz? Yeah, this is, yeah, I, I, I hate journalism like this. It's just, it's just stupid. It's just ridiculous. You know? That's terrible. Again, just, that's terrible Tuesday material right there. Just, you know, he said, she said. But this is a story making the rounds. So I know the people are going to be hearing about it. So there you have it. All right, Antonio Brown, will he be playing this weekend? Probably so, right? I don't know. Bruce Arians, kudos to Bruce Arians, though, because he was fantastic with his press conference the other day, just talking about him. We played it on Terrible Tuesday, where he is just saying that, listen, we stink right now. All right. You're only as good as your last game. We're not good. And it, and it falls on the coaches, it falls on the players, falls on everybody. So he called everybody out. So you talk about a team having a get back game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They got that get-back game as they're playing the lowly New York Giants at home on Monday Night Football. We fully expect Tampa Bay to uh, play well. Even though last time we saw the Giants on Monday Night Football two weeks ago, we saw them going to Kansas City and give the Chiefs a heck of a game, and Daniel Jones played pretty well. A little difference there is that the Chiefs' defense not quite what the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offer on the defensive side of the ball. So we'll see if the Buccaneers can get it right. But, yes, uh, hopefully uh, – this is not true about news uh, about Antonio Brown uh, obtaining a fake COVID card.
All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Scott Spritzer, and we start handicapping the NFL this weekend and also college football and a little bit more right here at T.C. Martin Show on a Thursday. This is Showtime, Sean Porter. You know I'm tuning in to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, don't forget tomorrow, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out, see the show live. Uh, Moreland Greenwood will be joining us. He joined us a couple months ago. He's the NFL director of uh, the Alumni Association here in Las Vegas. Uh, Represents a lot of great uh, former NFL players who call Las Vegas home. So uh, always love talking to Moreland Greenwood. He will join us at the Cosmopolitan tomorrow. And, of course, Double B, Brian Benowitz will be out there. And, of course, delivering our best bet segment, of course, our three best college plays, three best NFL, and all of that up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. And, of course, one of our one of our main guys on the crew has been on fire. It seems like he's always on fire. Scott Spritzer, Doc Sports. What is happening, my man? How you doing, TC? I'm good, man. I'm good. Just, uh, again, busy week here, Scott. As we well know, fight week is always an exciting time. But when you throw fight week, especially with a fight like Terrence Crawford and Showtime Sean Porter, and we throw that in the mix with, oh, by the way, we got a Raiders game on Sunday, UNLV kind of closing out their home season, football coming off a two-game win streak, and college basketball galore. I mean, we, what a time to be in Vegas. Absolutely, and we continue to support everything that's here every weekend. And uh, I'll be out there tomorrow night at 8.30 p.m. kickoff for UNLV football. Uh, And listen, you know, college football, the NFL, that's the star of the show for me each and every week. But when we get a fight like we got going this weekend, finally get to see Crawford and Porter do battle in the ring, even though the odds are heavily in favor of Crawford I mean, that takes center stage to me, TC, I'm sure, just like it does to a big fight fan like yourself. Oh, yeah. Again, it just, uh, you know, we love fight week, love covering it. And again, you know, you know, passion about it. And it's just, uh, you know, Al Bernstein and I, we we just talked last hour. And again, this is just one of those fights where you just really, it's it's so anticipated because you've got two world championship caliber guys, uh, not just fighters, but just guys as well, too. And uh, you can make a case that, you know, it will not be a shock or a surprise if either one of these guys win. And, you know, you're talking about the odds here, Scott. It's just really, really funny. And Al and I were talking about this as well, too. Usually with boxing, I mean, that is the one sport that the odds makers really mismanage because they don't follow the sport closely. You see it in UFC to a certain degree as well, too. And you, I guess you can't... You, this is lame, but you know to say you can't expect these guys to really uh, follow the sport that closely. I think you should. I mean, if you're operating a sports book, and I understand that you know you put so much into you know every college football game and college basketball game and the the NFL games and that sort of thing. But where a lot of these other sports that may not generate that type of action, and we see it with the WNBA, that we see a lot of miss mismanaged lines that get put up with the WNBA because you know the the people that are putting up these numbers do not follow the sport that closely and boxing is one of these where you can find tremendous value in that same way well i'll tell you what i can tell you from my experience of talking to sports book directors they claim and i believe them there's no reason not to that UFC and boxing are a huge moneymaker for them. So I think they're doing okay. I mean, my own personal opinion from talking to guys, everybody who's not a sports book director, and I'm not saying you said this because you never have to be, but everybody who's not a sports book director tells me how much they beat up on the UFC. But yet the sports book directors are saying, this is a big moneymaker for us. So I tend to think they do a pretty good job. I mean, you know, this is interesting, this, this line tomorrow night, because you can get – if you like Crawford, for instance, he's anywhere from minus 700 to minus 1,000, offshore minus 1,000. You know, I tell people who've talked to me, you know, just friends that aren't big betters, I'll say, listen, if you just want to have some fun, entertainment value, you know, and you just want to throw 20 bucks on this fight or 40 bucks on this fight just to have a good time, you know, why not take a, a, a shot at Sean Porter at those huge odds? You have some fun because you don't make anything if Crawford wins. Now, if you're a big better and you absolutely think you're going to be a part of this fight, then if you're betting big money, then minus 700, minus 800, you'll lay it. But, you know, just from my experience, TC, is that, you know, they say they do really well behind the counter in the UFC game and the fight game as far as boxing is concerned. And, 
you know, as far as this particular fight, what are you going to do? You make it minus 600, you're going to get nothing but Crawford money. You know, that's, that's the way it would have been. It would have gone from minus 500 or minus 600, steaming up, and they would have had a one-sided action, and they would have had to, you know, hope and pray that Porter pulls the upset, which he might, but instead they put out 700 minus 800 in that neighborhood, and they get relatively, you know, solid betting or action on both fighters. So I, I think they've done their job with this fight. And, and again, it, it might not mean that the guy setting the line at a certain book thinks that Crawford is that much better than Porter. He's thinking, I've got to put out a line that's not going to have me so one-sided on betting action that I'm going to get destroyed behind the counter this week. So, you know, kind of look at it that way is what I do. And, and for that reason, I think around minus 800 is fair. Yeah, and that's exactly, you know, like you said, what the bookmakers are trying to achieve with every sport. They're trying, you know, they want to get, you know, two-way action. But again, from a boxing purist standpoint, you look at the, you know, the boxing, people who are involved in the sport and follow the sport, they'll say, well, there's no way in the world that he should be a 900 favorite. But you're right, from a bookmaker standpoint, that's what they're looking at here. And it's not like, you know, you know Crawford has really uh, has drawn a lot of backing in, in the past because a lot of his fights are... Are, are big numbers like this, and some of his fights not, are not even on the board as well. Right. I think the lowest odds we've seen when he fought Amir Khan, and I jumped all over that, I think he was minus 550 or 600, and like, okay, well, that's that's a fight that should be minus 1,200, you know, and the same thing with Canelo Alvarez. Canelo Alvarez, you know, and we're talking about guys, you know, making lines, I mean, Canelo Alvarez should not be a minus six or 700 against Caleb Plant or 800, he should be minus 2,000, and that played itself out like that as well, too. So I think that's you know where that's coming from is oh, just I, I, yeah yeah. yeah. If you're, but you're, if right. you're a boxing aficionado, I, I can see that definitely agree. Yeah. You know you might think Porter is not this big of an underdog, and I would tend to agree with you. If you're a bookmaker though, you got to make it so you don't get burned. Uh, that line with Canelo right. was interesting that you mentioned because they took somebody took uh, heavily into the six figure bet uh, on the other side for Canelo mm-hmm. to get beat in that particular fight, but. No, as far as what you're saying, like boxing aficionados, experts who really follow this, I could see where you would say this line is too heavy, too big on Crawford, and I would agree with you. Having said that, I, I was looking up last night, I was looking up 20, I looked up 20 boxing writers who I've heard of, you know, that, I, that, that have been doing this for quite a while. And if you're a Terrence Crawford backer, this has to be a little frightening. 20 and 0, unanimous. Crawford's going to win in one fashion or another, uh, or another over Porter. Not one writer out of the 20 that I read of guys I'm familiar with their work over the years gives Porter the win in this fight. That, that's got to be a good thing for Porter, DC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could kind of take that a little bit with a grain of salt. And going back to what you said before, too, about you know, your boxing does great business. I mean, really, let's be honest. I mean, every sport that they put on the board, I mean, does great business. It does great volume, especially, you know, they do take, you know, great action the night of the fight. And people that are going in to the casino, especially when you're, you're at a casino where the event is being held and they have a sports book there. I mean, sports book directors, you know, the Mandalay Bay and the MGM, they will tell you, like, hey, we, we love having these things because everybody will come and bet, you know, whether the sharp guys will come and usually bet on the favorite or there'll be that casual better who will come and, like you said, whether put, you know, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, or two or 300 bucks on the underdog here. So, yeah, it, they definitely do well, you know, with boxing. I guess, Scott, too, I don't know too many sports that really don't, uh, that we call major sports of the four or five major sports that actually don't do uh, great betting action, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and for me, it's kind of funny because, like I said, when it comes to UFC, for example, everybody I talk to tells me they beat the UFC. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm a doubting Thomas, but I'm a doubting Thomas because the books tell me how well they do, you know, oh, uh, yeah, in beating yeah. uh, the betters. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, they do well with action. Uh, a fight like this, like you mentioned, people who don't bet hardly at all throughout the course of a, of a calendar year, if they're in and around Las Vegas, they're going to be putting money down on this fight. It's just, that's the thing that I like, TC. It's just got such name appeal. And you can sit here and you can make a solid argument and a flawless argument for Porter or for Crawford. You know, and just toss the line out. You know, forget that it's right. such a big-time price on Crawford. And you can sit there and make a solid argument for both of these fighters. And i got to throw something at you real quickly here because you follow the fight game closer than anybody I know, and I wanted to ask you this. I saw a write-up that compared, maybe not his style, 
but compared his results, and I'm talking about Sean Porter, to that of Obakar, and that fantastic fighter, you know, decent enough technician. He can be raw, he can be nasty in the ring when he needs to be, but when he steps up to that huge, huge fight, he finds a way to lose. He's not at that level. What do you think about that when you hear somebody say, you know, just your thoughts, pro or, 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 or against, you know, a comparison to Obakar in results? Yeah, I, I don't think it's a, a fair comparison at all. Just, and again, am I a little bit skewed because of how well I know Sean and the friendship and this, that? But the thing is, I've seen him fight, I've seen him train, and, and I knew Obakar a little bit as well, too. Uh, Obakar did not possess the the same type of I'd say the intellect or or the skill set maybe that, that that Sean has not that he's a great I mean not a great fighter because Obakar definitely mm-hmm. definitely was but um, this is a situation where when you look at at Porter Porter has been in with everybody okay he's he's never ducked anybody he's actually wanted to be more active he wanted to have more of these fights but because of the umbrella that he's part of of PBC uh, he could only get these PBC guys and he really could never get them on his terms he wanted the immediate rematch with Keith Thurman which was a razor thin uh, you know call right there the Earl Spence Jr. fight you make the case and you know I say it and everybody in boxing says it if he stands up in round 10 and doesn't have that flash knockdown good chance he knocks off Earl Spence and wins that fight razor or thin. He wanted an immediate rematch there, and Al Heyman would not give it to him. So the Crawford thing he's been chasing for, for two years, that's finally going to happen now. But here's what I like about Sean Porter is that he has defeated uh, guys that he's maybe people aren't giving him credit for, like Ugas. When he beat Ugas, that was a very tough fight, and he beat him. When did we just see Ugas fight? Okay, He won the championship before he, he fought Manny Pacquiao. He ended up retiring Manny Pacquiao. So Ugas is another great champion. And then he beat guys that were in their prime, like Andre Berto and uh, Adrian Broner, Pauli Malignaggi, and the list kind of goes you know, on and on. Uh, again, uh, beat Danny Garcia. Not many people gave Sean a, a chance to do that as well, too. So when Sean loses fights... They are not unanimous decision fights. You know, they are split decision fights. They are close, and he doesn't get knocked out. So if you like to back the underdog, for me, this is the ultimate opportunity to get yourself a law, a live dog at a huge price here, knowing that this guy is going to give everything he has. He's going to come in here. He's done his homework at Terrence Crosser. He's not just that bulldog mentality. He has switched it up a variety of different ways when he's fought different fighters. He's a boxer puncher, and since he's become a broadcaster to his own admission, he actually said this, not me, that he's actually just become a, 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 a better fighter because he's analyzed these guys, he's had to look at more film, and he's the only guy in the business right now who is an active fighter fighting at the world-class level and commentating on major fights that he with PBC and Fox and Showtime that, uh, that, that no one else is doing. So it gives you a different perspective, but you know him like I do, Scott, that this guy gives you everything you're going to get. He's not going to back down. He's going to be the aggressor. He does not lack for confidence. So if you're looking for a live dog, he might not win the fight, but he will give you everything you can, and he has a legitimate shot of beating uh, Terrence Crawford because Terrence Crawford has not fought anybody at the caliber of Sean Porter. Well, that's the thing. If you do like a, take a team sport perspective and you say – you know, strength of schedule, Yeah. you know, and use it in this, you know, it's not even close. You know, Crawford's strength of schedule, so to speak, is not anywhere close to Sean Porter's. They did have that common opponent, Kel Brooks. You know, Crawford knocked him out or stopped him, I should say, in the fourth. Porter lost to Kel Brooks. That's, you know, a that was five years. Yeah, that, that's not comparable kind of because of five years ago and what Sean was going through at that point in time. And that was his first loss. But yeah, I know what you're saying. And Kel Brook is, is pretty much a shot fighter now when, uh, you know, when, uh, when Crawford fought him as well, too. And then the other thing I was going to say is I agree that he's going to bring it in the early rounds, Porter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, let's say by round five, I'm not going to be shocked if most watching the fight closely, including the judges, have it three to two as far as rounds in favor of Porter, maybe even four to one. Right. You know, to me, I think in the middle rounds and later rounds, you're going to see Bud Crawford get comfortable with what's going on mm-hmm. and his length. I mean, gosh, you know, his, 
his length is crazy. You know, it's I, I think his his reach is what longer than just anybody yeah, in the se- bed. Seventy four inches. It, it's it's amazing. No, what he can do, and he can not only just jab and you know keep the distance, the length, but again, he's got tremendous punching power too. And, and Crawford is a very smart uh, fighter. Like you said, he is a little bit of a slow starter, uh, and he'll be methodical about it. But it's you know this is going to be great. It's going to be a war. And back to the betting side, Scott. I think my, myself. I think the best, there's a great uh, bet that's out there right now, and unfortunately you got to lay some juice still, is the overprop here. I mean, this is a distance fight. There's no way that I can see either one of these guys knocking out the other guy, and I, and I really don't even maybe even see a knockdown in this fight. And you know, They could get knocked down, but both guys have really strong chins where they would come up and, 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 and answer back. But they have the ultimate respect for each other, which tells you the pace could be a little bit slower in the beginning. And uh, when you have that type of respect, that usually results in a distance fight. Uh, it's, I, I think it's like 250, 260, which is still pretty heavy to lay. But if you'd rather do that than lay the 8 or 9 with Crawford, I think that's a stone-cold lock. Yeah, I'm looking at the casinos here in town. i got about 30 uh, casinos on my line service. And here in town... Uh, the best I see is minus 250 on the over, yeah. and then I guess here and offshore, I think the highest price I see is minus 265 on the over. And so you're seeing ten and a half rounds too, right? Ten and a half rounds, yeah. yeah. So you got to go, you know, you actually have to go past the halfway point of the 11th round for those who are kind of new to all this. And I agree with that. That if you're going to get involved with this and you don't want to lay eight or nine hundred to win a hundred, that the over is the way to go. I think it's going to take. A very fortunate punch that either one of these guys could land, but a very fortunate punch to end this one early. Again, if I'm a casual better and I tell my friends who, you know, the, those who are in the, in the betting game, you know, they decide what they're going to do, and, and most of them are on Crawford, and they're going to go ahead and put a bunch of money on them on that minus, you know, anywhere from 700 in town all the way up to minus 1,000. Obviously, they'll shop for the cheaper price. But for those who are just looking for entertainment, as TC said, you know, Throw it on Sean Porter. Have some fun with this. If you lose, you're going to lose 20 or 40 bucks, whatever you consider to be entertainment value with your money that you spend. If you win, you're going to get a nice return, and it's going to be fun. I, I, listen, I'm hoping that this fight goes the distance. I want to see these two tacticians going at it. It's funny because when Sean Porter steps into a ring, and it's not against Terrence Crawford, and the same goes the other way around, Sean Porter steps into the ring against everybody else. I say the boxing IQ easily in Sean Porter's favor. When Terrence Crawford steps in the ring against anybody else than Sean Porter, Crawford's boxing IQ better than anybody in the ring or anybody he's facing. Now you've got these two guys with crazy Einstein boxing IQs who are going to go at it. One guy says, I know all the right bus- buttons to push to get under Crawford's skin. That would be Sean Porter. And then you've got Terrence Crawford. He's got that steely look that makes a champion to me in the ring of like, I really don't care what he says. I don't care. It, it's not putting Sean Porter down. He's like, I'm just going to go fight my fight. You know, so you got two guys who just know the game and know what they got to do so well. I, I just can't wait to watch this fight, TC. I really can't. Am I going to lay minus 800, minus 900? No. Am I going to bet the fight? If I decide to, it's going to be over ten and a half rounds, right. which you just suggested. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be great. And again, two two guys that is true pros, uh, both world champions. Uh, fantastic fight Saturday night at the Mandalay Bay. And one of the reasons why this fight sold out in a couple weeks as well. All right, Scott, let's turn our attention to some football. we got a game tonight. Uh, Patriots and the Falcons might not look real sexy, but then when you kind of peel back the onion, so to speak, you've got the uh, Patriots winning, what, five in a row, but looking fantastic. Mac Jones looking like uh, the best uh, maybe first- or second-year quarterback in the league. Uh, if we include guys that came in last year, I like Mac Jones. I like the defense. Uh, man, uh, the, the Falcons, I've been on them a couple times earlier on this year that, that uh, have cashed me some tickets, but last week they got to destroyed uh, against Dallas and uh, more injuries uh, on tap here for the Falcons. We see the Falcons getting seven at home. Uh, you want any part of the dog or or even the favorite, or is this just a layoff game? I, I took a small wager on the underdog at seven, and I wanted at least seven. Um, to me, I believe that the Patriots win this game. It'll be by no more than that. Uh, so at the very least, at least in my handicapping, I would be getting uh, my money back if the Falcons don't cover. But for me, and it doesn't mean this is an automatic winner and this is not a big play for me, but this is a case of buy low and sell high. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's what this game means to me. Uh, this is one all about line of, uh, lines and adjustments for my 
from my betting perspective. These teams were involved in games last week where the winners scored a combined 88 points and the losers scored 10. New England crushes the Browns 45-7. Atlanta on the short end of a 43-3 thrashing at the hands of the Cowboys. So this, to me, has led to value on the underdog because I think New England, due to what the public just saw most recently, oh, New England, boy, they're right there. They're on Buffalo's heels. They're going to, you know, they've won five in a row while the other side is, oh, the Falcons are terrible. They absolutely stink. They just lost by six touchdowns. Boom, there goes a little bit of value on Atlanta because that line gets increased by just a touch uh, due to public opinion. Now, again, it's a small play for me. Am I going to be shocked if the Patriots control this game? No, but line value I will play each and every week over the course of an NFL college football basketball season, what have you, because I know at the very end I'm going to come out with a little bit more money in my pocket than if I choose to ignore line value. And, again, Falcons could get dusted tonight, but the value's on Atlanta. All right. What are your thoughts about the Raiders and the Bengals, two teams that mirror images of each other, the way they've played, kind of the personnel that they have, uh, what they run, everything here. They've both lost two in a row. They're both at five and four. They're both, uh, you know, game, game and a half out of their uh, first place in their respective divisions here and both need the game rather badly and uh, they both feature two quarterbacks that have given us some inconsistent play yeah and i haven't been impressed obviously with cincinnati they got that big win over baltimore a few weeks ago and since then you know they've been pretty average and and bad at a couple of cases and so it's a situation where like you said both of these teams are playing better football you know a month ago than they are right now I don't know what to make out of Las Vegas, and I haven't bet this game yet. I lean towards Las Vegas in this game. If I end up pulling the trigger on it, it'll be on the Raiders. But I'm trying to really find a little bit more out about this contest. When you watch what happened on, on Sunday night when the Raiders took on Kansas City, and for the first time this entire season, basically, we saw Kansas City's offense look like the Mahomes offense that we've seen over the past couple of years. For the first time, he wasn't, Mahomes wasn't pressing he wasn't frustrated. Kelsey got open anytime he wanted. Hill was getting open, and not just five yards downfield. He was getting beyond the receivers. And again, Mahomes did miss three or four long-distance passes in that game where his receivers were wide open. So it's tough to back Vegas right now because they're just missing receivers in coverage as far as what's going on on the offensive side of the football. Not this past game, but the game before, Derek Carr you know, put it on his shoulders, and he said, we lost because of me. He's 100% right. That's not quarterback speak. He lost the game for his team, and I'm just wondering if this is going to be the Raiders that we saw the last couple of years looking good, looking promising, and then things go downhill, and they can't, you know, can't stop the downhill run. And for that reason, I've held off of this game so far, TC. So it's a lean to Las Vegas, but as of right now, I have not made a bet. All right, Scott Spritzer joins us, Doc Sports. You can get Scott's selections at DocSports.com. Uh, the man on fire having a fantastic season on both the college side and the NFL side. Scott, let's uh, talk a little bit about the rest of the NFL. I know you won't be joining us for best bets tomorrow. If you have any of your best bets uh, you know, right now, if you want to deliver them out uh, to our audience, or we just make them wait uh, till tomorrow afternoon and go on the website. But if there's anything you want to you hit on, uh, feel free on the NFL side. Sure, I'll, I'll give you one play that I'll, I haven't decided exactly my six plays, but this one will be one of those six plays. And I went ahead and I laid the two and a half with Kansas City over Dallas. Uh, Chiefs consistently overvalued for a long period of time, as you know. But you know, that's no longer the case. They had the dreadful spread run. They had the offensive struggles. Last week they got back on track against the Raiders. Mahomes wasn't pressing. He wasn't frustrated. And the most important thing is Kelsey was getting open. And for the most part, Mahomes was hitting him when he got open. And Hill, which is the key, was getting beyond the, uh, the, the secondary a few times. Now you got their top running back coming back from injury potentially this week. And I think it's a situation where they are undervalued now, just like they were last week against the Raiders. The rhythm is back on offense. I believe Dallas is overvalued this week, thanks in part to that 40-point win over Atlanta. And now the Cowboys have to face a defense. Listen, Kansas City's defense has been much maligned and deservedly so going back to last year's Super Bowl. But the last five games, they've given up 15.6 points per game, helping the team to a 4-1 and mark in those five games. Dallas has not faced an elite level or skilled quarterback at this level since week one when they gave up 31 to Brady and the Bucks. I thought at two and a half it was value on the Chiefs. I thought that line should have been three and a half, and that'll definitely be one of my six plays. All right. 
Scott, let's talk a little bit about the college side here. Uh, Michigan State and Ohio State. And to the naked eye here, people will look at this line saying 19, 19 and a half. Wait a minute. This is number four against number seven here. <laughs> Give me some thoughts on this. Is this uh, line a little bit inflated because Ohio State's been blasting some of these inferior Big Ten teams out in the, the past four or five weeks? I don't think so. I think it's a, a good line. Uh, this was, I've got, uh, let's see, nine plays that I made so far this week, and this one what it was number 10. That's how close Ohio mm-hmm. State came to be being a bet for me. I have not had Sparty. I've not had the Spartans in my top 10 in power ratings this season. Never. Not even before uh, the loss to Purdue. Not even after they beat Michigan. They've not been in my top 10. And Ohio State is the only team right now outside of Alabama that if they met up with Georgia, would be a single-digit underdog against Georgia. It's just Ohio State, Bama. Everybody else would be a double-digit dog. Michigan State was the luckiest team I've ever seen against Nebraska. They were heavily outplayed, outgained in that game. Uh, They had a fortunate comeback against Michigan, who failed in the second half to make adjustments, and it came to a head against Purdue. I do give them credit that they came out and beat Maryland by 19 last week. They didn't let the Purdue loss so-called bubble burst situation affect them two weeks in a row. The offense is solid for Sparty. I don't like their defense. They give up too many yardage. Ohio State is statistically the best offense in college football. I think Sparty better get some pressure on Stroud or he picks him apart. The fear that I had about this game and the reason it became the first game not to make my list this week was that I think Ohio State could be up 28 in this game and win by 17 when Michigan State gets a backdoor cover. That's the thing that scares me the most. But listen, Michigan State, I mean, they're, they're outside of my top 10 easily, and I've got other power ratings guys who I respect a lot who don't even have them in their top 20. You know, the big thing with Ohio State, the big knock on them early early on was the defense. It didn't look good, and it's looked better, at least on paper it's looked better, because maybe of the opposition that they've been beating, what the offense has been doing. What are your thoughts about defense? Has it actually gotten better or, or, or not? I think the Ohio State defensive line, the, the down linemen, are in the top three in college football. And I think that has been the difference as they've developed more of a chemistry. And then, you know, the back seven linebackers and DBs have been able to kind of get their game together, get that chemistry going. If Michigan State cannot run the football effectively against this defensive front, then I think they're in trouble over the course of this game. But, again, I think Ohio State's much better now than when they played Oregon. I'll tell you what, if you do a power rating right now, and I, I talked to a sportsbook director yesterday, and I said, am I crazy to make you know, Georgia 17.5 points better than the Oregon Ducks and 6.5 points better than Ohio State on a neutral field? And he goes, sounds pretty close to where I'd make it. Yeah. And so that tells you where Ohio State is right now compared to where Oregon is right now. The Ducks, of course, that one team that won at Columbus in the early portion of the year. Yeah, exactly. And Utah playing Oregon, that's going to be a heck of a game too. And uh, I don't know about you, but I do like Utah minus three in this game. So well, uh, before I let you go, I do want to touch on, uh, you mentioned Nebraska you know, uh, against uh, Michigan State, and now they're going to Wisconsin. This Nebraska team, and you know better than anybody else, this team has – Plenty of talent. They probably have just as much team uh, as talent as Wisconsin does, but Nebraska just finds a way to lose. Uh, they can outgain opponents. They've outgained j- just about a majority of their opponents. Uh, this team has got lost, I think, by double digits one time this entire year. But because of Adrian Martinez, it just seems that this team doesn't know how to win. And uh, could this be the week where they shock Wisconsin? You know, I'm just going to say this about my home state team. I'm going to give them a pat on the back, and it, maybe it's you know not exactly a pat on the back because of the record, but they are the far and away best three and seven team I've right. ever seen. Right. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. And they could end uh, up but, three and nine, Scott. How crazy is that? And then people are going to be calling for the head of Scott Frost again. But the bottom line is, it, and we've talked about it before, it's more Adrian Martinez. That's they have been snake bit. And they've made mistakes, granted, but, you know, at what point in time does this team just, they, they hang their head and they quit? And we really haven't seen that, have we? No, they haven't quit yet. They did fire four coaches last yes, week. that's and another thing, too. Scott right. Frost took yeah. that big cut. Now, I've seen over the course of my lifetime, and as you have, too, in my adult life, that, you know, when you see a head coach save his job by firing assistants, it doesn't usually work out. All I've heard is that Nebraska is still practicing their butts off like they got a chance you know, to play for a Big Ten title the way they're practicing this week. 
Yeah, man. I mean, they lost to Michigan State due to shooting themselves in the foot numerous times. They lost to Oklahoma by a touchdown because of special teams. They lost to Ohio State because of special teams. They lost to Michigan because Adrian Martinez fumbled the ball trying to run for third and short, had the first down, and then drops the football with a minute to go in the game and a chance to win. So it is a situation where you wonder – when is this team going to say, oh, man, just enough's enough already, and they get beat 31-zip, and when is this team going to put it all together? Martinez plays a solid game, and they beat a good team. We know they crushed Northwestern by 49 points, but Northwestern's not that good this year. The one thing going for Wisconsin at this point of the season, if this game was played three weeks ago, I'd be on Nebraska. I'm leaving it alone. Wisconsin has gone back to their identity. They were throwing the ball way too much early in the year. They're back to, we're Wisconsin. We run the football right at you. We're going to pop you in the chops. If you can stop us, you got a shot to win. They've started to get back to that identity that we've known for 20 years instead of throwing the ball too much, which they were doing earlier in the season. I'm going to take the easy way out and say I'm passing. If I had to bet it, I would take the points of the Nebraska because it seems like every game comes down to a one-score game. Yeah, and Wisconsin, you know, they lost Malusi. They're, they're leading running back, and uh, right now they really have one healthy running back, you know, right now. They've got a couple backups that are, that are banged up as well, too. So I hope they don't go back to that mentality, Scott, with Mertz going back to pass 25 times a game because that, you're right, that was dreadful. And Wisconsin's got to remember who they are. They are run the ball first team in a defensive juggernaut, but now with being decimated at running back due to injury, that's what scares me a little bit. I, I'm, I would like to play. I, I can make a case for playing either side of this game, but I'm probably going to be like you. I'm going to get scared off because both teams have burned me numerous times this season. Well, Nebraska is just too much of an enigma right now in that, or a question mark in that, which, you know, are we going to see a team that, you know, sees those four coaches get let go and say, you know, we cost those guys their job. And I'm not saying they did, but that should be the mentality. We're going to go out there and kick some butt. Or are they going to be a team that's, you know, maybe fractured a little bit in the locker room. Some guys like those coaches, some guys don't, and they come out and they get down 7 nothing, 10 nothing. things don't go their way early, and they just mail it in from there on out. It's just too many question marks on that football team for me right now. You got it. All right, he is Scott Spritzer. He's our guy. He's over at Doc Sports as well, too, DocSports.com. Scott, uh, enjoy UNLV football on Friday night. Uh, I'm going to try to make a quick appearance over there, but then i, I got to get over to Michigan and UNLV at T-Mobile on the basketball side, Juwan Howard's coming in with his number four ranked team. Well, not anymore since they lost to Seton Hall, but that's going to be a good game. Plenty of great college basketball in town, too. Absolutely. Gonzaga, UCLA next week, my friend. I'll probably see you there. There you go, brother. All right, Scott, take care. Take care, man. There it is. Scott Spreitzer, great stuff. Uh, handicapping the fight with Crawford and Porter, as well as the college football this weekend and the NFL as well, too. Everyone kind of likes the Raiders. I kind of do myself, too. Whew. See what happens here. All right, we'll uh, dive into more of all of that. Plenty of football. More fight talk again tomorrow. Join us at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, 2 to 4 p.m. Join us. Be there. Have a great time. Enjoy the ambience there inside the sportsbook by, powered by William Hill. Go to the website. Check it all out. Our, reca- our, rather, our preview and thoughts on Crawford Porter on the website. The interview with Tim Bradley's up there. All your fight coverage is there and everything else. Best bets will be up there tomorrow afternoon as well, too, at tcmartinshow.com. Have a good one. We'll see you tomorrow, 2 o'clock, at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas.